What a song to set us up for a New Year journey just about to begin. Thank you, Julia Lindsay. Ride on, King Jesus. We need to follow him this year. Who can say where this journey is going? But if he will ride on, we'll be behind. Oh, God. That's our prayer. You lead, we will follow. We're poised on the cusp. This is the brink. New Year hasn't begun yet, but on this last Sabbath before the New Year begins, give us something in Holy Scripture to energize our souls, to compel our lives. Hope and courage for what awaits us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you three pictures today that I did not share with you last week. Two of them are black and white. I scanned them out of Heinrich Herrer's gripping book, The White Spider. We're going to get to those two pictures. The other is a very dramatic color photograph off of the web. But all three pictures are of Eiger. That's German for ogre. And this mountain, it is not the tallest mountain in Europe, but it is the most treacherous mountain. It has been a deadly ogre ever since men have attempted to climb it a century and a half ago. It's been nicknamed the White Spider, and the reason it's called the White Spider is because a little spider-like death patch up near the summit where you, you must traverse this ice and snow if you would reach the summit. So it's called the White Spider. Now, Karen and I, as I mentioned last week, had the privilege of standing at the feet of this 13,042-foot mountain. And when you're, when you're in Switzerland, we had uh, followed the... We had joined with the School of Architecture students in northwest Italy with Kathy Dembski on the Waldensian tour. Right after that, we shot up into uh, Switzerland to celebrate our 35th anniversary. And when you're a little village called Grindelwald, and when you're in the Alps, trust me, there are pictures, you, your camera's going a, a thousand miles an hour. Let me put it, just a little collage. That's in just one little village surrounded entirely by the, uh, the Swiss Alps. But one mountain in particular stands out, and I want to give you a close-up of it. It's Iger, the ogre. Next picture you'll see, we climbed up to about 7,000 feet. We can go to that next picture. And there it is. Now I want to pull that camera in one more notch. And I want you to take a look at the north face because this has been the treacherous face that has defied human ascent. The white spider. You see a little patch up near the top. That's that spider patch. Now, 6,000 feet vertical drop. Sheer rock. You can understand the immense challenge to scale to those heights. Here comes the uh, two black and white pictures now. This is from his book. Before the picture goes up, well, now that it's up, look for an airplane. Can you see an airplane against that sheer rock face? You see a Swiss airplane? little uh, Swiss flag on the back of the tail. That plane is flying at thousands of feet, and it's flying right across the face. We are talking straight down. Next photograph, black and white, 1952. Now, that looks like a man just kneeling on a flat patch of snow. That picture is straight down. You see in the valley the shadow of the north face over the valley. And at the top of the black and white picture, you see a little clump. That's a whole forest. That's 5,000 feet up. It is straight down. And the reason it's so treacherous is because you, you would never climb it in the winter. You're going to climb it in the summer. Even in the summer, as the snows melt and the ice is loosened like projectiles, like little missiles 
Hence, over 50 people have died, perished, trying to climb that face. First successful climb, July 21 to 24, 1938. But if you make it to the summit, get a load of this. I found this on the web this last week. Here's a picture of the summit. Can you believe it? I wish I could tell you I had the courage to be the one to take that picture. No way. You would never get me on that. Sheer drop off, both sides, the white spider. Why go to the white spider at all on this eve of a new year? I'll tell you why. Because we all have our white spiders. That's why. Little two-part mini-series, Lessons from the White Spider. These towering obstacles, mountain faces between us, realized dream, fulfillment of a promise. Some of you today are facing this massive north face a financial white spider. There is no way you have the money to move on. Some of you are facing a physical, a health, a health deterioration summit you can't seem to get over. We all have our white spiders. Emotional summits, social peaks, marital, marital mountaintops that I just can't seem to get up to. Hanging, by the way, suspended halfway, too, too afraid to climb up, too scared to go down. Lessons from the white spider. Two ancient stories from the dusty heart of the Old Testament to inject a fresh sense of courage and faith into us on the eve of a new journey. Open your Bible to the second mountain climbing story. These are both mountain climbing stories, last week and this week. It's the shortest you can ever have, a mini-series, just two. This week, 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, another mountain climbing story right out of the dusty heart of the Old Testament. Last week our hero was 85 years old when he ascended that summit. Give me this mountain, he cried out. This week I'm going to put the age of these two heroes, because there are two of them. They're both young adults. I put them in their early 20s. All right, you can identify with that age. Early 20s. They are going to have to climb the north face of a sheer cliff. Mountain story number two, lesson... Lessons from the White Spider, Part 2, Two Young Men Who Will Scale the Vertical Face. You're finding 1 Samuel chapter 14. By the way, if you didn't bring your Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. You have got to follow along. This is one phenomenal story. Power-packed lessons tucked away in it. 1 Samuel chapter 14. In fact, to get a feel for this ascent, we need to start with the last verse of chapter 13. By the way, take your pew Bible. It'll be page 196. I'm going to be in the New International Version. I think I'm going to be in the NIV all through this fall. I've kind of gotten reacquainted with this translation, and I do like it. But let's pick it up. Before chapter 14, the last verse of chapter 13, it would be verse 23. Now a detachment. All right? This is wartime in Israel. Now a detachment of Philistines. That would be enemy. They have been the nemesis. They have been the thorn in the side of Israel from the get-go. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass. We've got a mountain pass going. This is going to be a mountain story now. A white spider story. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. So they're on top of one of those passes. The story begins. Verse 1, chapter 14. One day Jonathan... Son of Saul. Now, that would be the first king of Israel, King Saul. And Jonathan was his oldest boy. That would make him crown prince Jonathan. One day, Jonathan. By the way, how old is Jonathan? We don't know his age, but by the age of his companion, you can guess 
They're both young. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man, twice in the story, the armor bearer is identified as young. So it's key. It's a key. They're young, both of them. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell. Shh! He did not tell his father, King Saul. God's pick. God can pick leaders. A leader doesn't have to choose to stay with God. King Saul has already begun this, this, this emotional meltdown that becomes a moral meltdown. He, he is so flighty even now that Jonathan dare, he, he dares not tell his dad. So in verse 4, here's a description of that mountain pass. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the enemy outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozez and the other was Seneh. Verse 5, one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash. That would be the north face they're going to climb. And the other to the south toward Giba. Now verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go. Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised, read pagan, to those pagan fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Ladies and gentlemen, seven short, punchy lessons tucked away in this white spider. And there it is, lesson number one. God doesn't need the numbers. Grab your study guide. Let's scribble down these seven short lessons as we climb this mountain together. Lesson number one. You got your study guide? It should be in your worship bulletin. If you didn't get a worship bulletin when you came in, just hold your hand up. We've got our ushers who are going to be eager to make sure you get these seven lessons. You don't want to miss these seven. Hold your hand up. If several of you came in with one bulletin, ask for a a study guide, please. If you're in overflow, ask for a study guide. If you're up in the balcony, ask for a study guide. Seven short, punchy letters. Lessons, rather. By the way, while our ushers are getting the study guides out, I need to say to those of you who are watching on television, we are delighted to have you. This is one more mountain story. Lessons from the White Spider. I'll put the website on the screen for you so that you can get the same study guide. There you see it on the screen, pmchurch.tv. Lessons from the White Spider, part two. If you didn't get part one, it's already on the website. You can get the podcast. You've got to get both mountain stories. Here, when the first story was 85, these guys are in their early 20s. You can have heroes at both ends of the age spectrum. That's the good news. All right? So you're looking for part two, and then when it says study guide, click on there, and you'll get the same study guide. By the way, let me, let me just alert you. Next week, same time, same station. One week from right now, we are plunging into what may be the most challenging series you and I have ever worked through together. It's called The Temple. The Temple. Something's going on up there that is crucial to what's going on down here. Begins next week, exactly a week from this moment. The Temple. Bring a friend with you. They'll never be the same for getting into the Temple through a crack in the door. That would be, <clears throat> pardon me, that would be our opening teaching. All right, so you have your study guide. Jot it down, please. Lesson number one, God is not dependent on numbers. That is a critical lesson. It's a good news lesson. God is not dependent on numbers. Once upon a time, there was a man named Gideon who had 10,000 soldiers with which to fight the enemy. God looked down from his throne and said, you know what? You got way too many soldiers. Whittle that army down. And God wouldn't stop until Gideon got the number down to three. You're not going to believe this. Three hundred. And the enemy was described as numbering as the sands of the sea. 
Why? Because God isn't dependent on numbers. Once upon another time, there was this very same King Saul with a massive army of Israelites, and they were all chicken livers, quivering before the thundering taunt of one lone giant named Goliath. And along came a young man named David. And by the way, that David and this Jonathan become the best of friends for the rest of their lives until Jonathan is killed. Same David. Same Jonathan. David comes along. And with just one stone and one boy, God routs the entire enemy. Why? Because God is not dependent on numbers. You may be all alone today like David. You don't know anybody in this school. I came all alone and I'm here. No, you're not alone. You're not alone at all. God isn't dependent on numbers. You may be just like Jonathan, just two of you in this whole school. Who cares the numbers? Whatever the crisis you're facing, whatever the challenge, this mountain that looms in front of you today, whatever it is, the good news is God is not dependent on numbers. Jonathan is absolutely right. It doesn't matter. How do you put it here at the end of verse 6? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In fact, God Himself makes that promise. It's in your study guide. But take a look at this verse. Luke chapter, this would be Leviticus, rather, chapter 26, verse 8. God says, and let me give you my arithmetic. This is strange arithmetic, by the way. Look at this arithmetic. God says, five of you will chase a hundred. Five of you will make a hundred flee. Now, look, let's do the arithmetic. If we had 20 times five, let's say we could have a hundred of us to, to attack the enemy then you'd have to do 20 times 100, and that would be 2,000. 100 of you can put 2,000 to flight. But notice God's arithmetic. It's one, of these, it's one of these exponential curves that goes just like this. Five of you will chase 100, and 100 of you will chase how many? 10,000. There are going to be times in this journey when you think you're all alone on this campus. Nobody else, nobody else understands life and my deep convictions. I want to tell you something. Don't you worry about that. God is not dependent on the numbers. Just a handful of you, just a handful of you can overturn the strategy of darkness. Just a handful. Don't you let anybody come along and say, ah, forget it. There are not enough of us. God isn't dependent on numbers. Lesson number one, lesson number two. And oh, by the way, you, w- you really want to integrate lesson number one into your life? You've got to get lesson seven. It's the key. All right, but let's go to lesson number two. Lesson number two. Let's read verse six again. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, come, come on. Let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our, act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by few whether by many, rather, or by few. And then, I love this, verse 7, His armor-bearer shoots back to him, Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Lesson number two, courage is contagious. Write that down. Courage is contagious. In 1910, President Theodore Roosevelt who grew up a sickly lad but overcame that weakness of his health to become this swashbuckling image of masculinity and bravo. He uttered some words in 1910 that have been logged into the annals of courage. Wherever you read a book and they're wanting to deal with courage, they'll go to Teddy Roosevelt. I'll put the words on the screen for you. They're in your study guide. He spoke these words. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how strong, how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. 
whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know no victory nor defeat. Wow. Wouldn't you like to follow somebody like that? Courage is contagious. Jonathan cries out, let's go. God can do it. And the armor bearer says, I'm with you, heart and soul. Because you know what? Courageous people are not only contagious, they're magnetic. Nobody wants to follow a whiner or a wimp. All it takes is for a courageous man. All it takes is for a brave woman who can rally all the rest, be it a roommate, be it a classroom, a work team, a department, an organization, it doesn't matter, just one with courage. Shoom, just like a magnet, you'll draw the others. Lesson number two, courage, courage is contagious. How can you integrate that into your life? Don't miss lesson number seven. But let's get lesson three first. Pick it up in uh, verse eight. So now, they're heart and soul together. Here's the plan. Watch this. Verse 8. Jonathan said, okay, come. Come. We will cross over toward the men. That would be the enemy at the top of that mountain. And we will let them see us. Verse 9. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay right where we are and not go up to them. But, he's saying to the armor bearer, if they say, come up to us. We will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jonathan is crouched at the foot of this massive cliff. The enemy's on top. And he's saying, I don't want to wait. I want a come on up. Lesson number three, write it down. With God, you must climb with and put it in between the quotation marks, advance mentality. Ooh, I like that. With God, you must climb with an advanced mentality. Not sitting there waiting, well, I'm going to wait here. I'm going to just wait, 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 wait. No, no. If the call says come, not wishing secretly for a wait. If the call says come, I'll come. Where did I get those two words? Advanced mentality. Erwin Raphael McManus is leader of an urban movement in Los Angeles, City of Angels, called Mosaic. He's written a dynamite book. I wish you could get a hold of this book. Title of the book, Seizing Your Divine Moment. Every time I need to get stirred up, I just pull McManus out. That particular book is incredible. Anyway, in one place in the book, he's actually commenting on this story that we're reading right now. And you see the quotation there in your study guide. I'll put it on the screen for you. Somehow, Jonathan understood that when you're moving with God, you must move with an advance. There they are. Advance mentality. You move forward unless God tells you to stop. You advance unless God tells you to wait. There are certain things that you do not need permission to do. You've already been commissioned to do them. Now, I'll put that in there. What would that be? What do you know that God has already commissioned you to do? And you don't have to ask, oh, God, is this your will? What do you suppose one of those would be? The word commission? How about the Great Commission? 
You never have to ask, God, is it your will that I share Jesus with my roommate? You will never have to ask him. That's a no-brainer. Jesus says, I want you to share me with everybody you meet. Now, he's not being ridiculous. He's not saying that when you're pumping gas at the gas station, you ask the guy beside you, have you been saved? He's not talking about that. But everybody you know. Everybody in your circle of friends. Be willing to share. Share me with them. Everybody in your circle of work. Everybody in your circle of intellectual journey. Be willing to tell them about me. You don't need need God to come along and say, by the way, I think I need you to do that. You already know. You don't have to ask. Oh, I like that, McManus. Spot on. Let me read that again. There are certain things that you do not need permission to do. You've already been commissioned to do them. One more line. There are certain things you do not need a calling to do. I am not a seminarian on this campus, so I don't have to do it. I am not a theology major. You don't need a calling. This isn't about calling. I'm not a pastor. I am no evangelist. You don't need a calling for this. How does that last line go? You've already been commanded to do them. Lesson number three. With God, you must climb with an advanced mentality. Not wait, 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 hold back, hold back. No, forward, advance. Lesson number four, verse 11. So now they're showing up. They're showing up, walking across that valley floor. And guess what? Perfect. The outpost spots them. All right, verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted down to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Hey, boys, come on up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. We'll show you boys a thing or two. Boom. Oh, boy. Lesson number four. You better get this one. This may be the next most significant lesson of the seven. Get this one straight. For some mountaintops, the greatest challenge is the arrival, not the ascent. Get that down. For some mountaintops, the greatest challenge is the arrival, not the ascent. For Jonathan and his armor bearer, getting up the mountain will not be their greatest challenge. It is what is waiting for them at the mountaintop that will test their mettle. There are times when the enemy will be waiting for you on top of your mountain and therein is a cautionary tale for all of us because some of you today, hallelujah, have at last reached a major mountaintop in your life. You have worked so hard to get to this mountaintop. You're finally here on this campus. You're finally married. You finally had a baby. Congratulations, Justin. And Rebecca. I've seen the baby. Fortunately, he favors his mother, which is encouraging. (laughs) You finally, you finally, professionally, I'm at the place in my career now. Ah, yes, I've been dreaming about this day. Hey, listen, 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 please. For some mountains, the challenge is not the ascent. It's the arrival. It's what's waiting for you. At the top. Hey, 
It doesn't matter what you're right now. Oh, right now I'm on the top. It doesn't matter for you what your right now is. The lesson of the story is that your arrival may turn out to be more dangerous than your ascent. So here's the deal. Beware. Here's the point. Be advised. There are times when the mountaintop injects a brand new crisis into your life and the enemy's there. Ha! You walk straight into a trap. Elijah. You ever heard of him? Elijah enjoyed one of the greatest mountaintop conquests in the history of sacred literature. Elijah, who calls down fire from heaven and nukes the summit of Mount Carmel. Elijah, who personally defeats and slaughters 850 pagan priests of Baal. Oh, Elijah, who just hours later hears the threat of a furious queen. And he crumbles. Depression. Despair. I want to die. The hero broke at the mountaintop. Lesson? Beware the mountaintop you celebrate today. I'm not trying to scare you. There's some wonderful mountaintops where that's just it. Give me another one now. But there are some where the enemy waits. Beware. Be advised. Why, why does it work this way? A century ago, these words are written up. They're in the study guide. You have to fill it out. In the valley of humiliation, where men and women depend on God to teach them and to guide their every step, there's comparative safety. Hey, man, this, this, this is great. I'm just down here in the valley. Life is, life is fine. Oh, but watch out. But the men and women who stand, as it were, on a lofty pinnacle reed mountain, these are in gravest peril. Unless such people make God their dependence, they will surely fall. Right in that word, dependence. Unless you make God your dependence, that mountaintop, like Elijah, will become not a mountaintop, but your Waterloo. It will be the defeat. You've got to make God. Unless they make God their dependence. Oh boy, how can you avoid a meltdown at this summit moment in your life? I mean, just to be here at Andrews University. Hallelujah, Jesus. You've got to learn lesson seven. The way to get this one into you is lesson seven. Well, let's go to lesson five. So they yell, they yell. Come on up. And Jonathan, this is the tail end of verse 12. So Jonathan, I love this. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Did you catch that? He said, Climb up after me. He could have said, Climb up ahead of me. But lesson number five is one we cannot forget. Leaders must lead. Leaders must lead. Whether you're the leader of a school club, whether you're the leader of a dormitory room, whether you're the leader of a family or a marriage, it doesn't matter. Leaders must lead. You say, hey, Dwight, I hate to tell you, I am not a leader. I just, I'm just not a leader. My friend, I beg to differ with you. If John Maxwell, the guru on leadership, is right... You are a leader. Watch this. What does Maxwell define leadership as? Jot it down. Leadership is influence. Nothing more. Nothing less. Influence. Nothing more. Nothing less. Do you have influence on anybody? Oh, yes, you do. If you influence anybody, you are a leader. You're a leader. 
Don't beg off and say, please, not me. No, you. How do you lead? How do you influence? You influence by your example. Now, I'm going to say something here. Please don't quote me. Don't, don't tell the freshmen I said this. They're all off campus right now. Karen and I are going this afternoon to meet with the freshman girls, and we've got to give three lectures up there to them together. But I want to say this about the freshmen who are not here. Some, a bunch of them were in church last Sabbath. Let me tell you something. If you're older than a freshman, you are a leader because you have influence. The way you, the way you swagger down that dormitory hall, oh, that's, that's how sophomores, that's how universities, I didn't know that. The way you hang in front of Lampson. Oh, that's what you do. They don't know. They're brand new. Now, my appeal to them is, hey, you don't need anybody to lead you. You become a leader on your own. But I'm telling you, there are a whole lot of them that are wanting to be followers and anonymous followers for a long time. They may see you in class, at chapel, in the cafeteria, worshiping here. Every time you show up with God, by the way, Oh, he goes to church? Oh, I need to go. You are a leader. You got influence. In fact, here's the credo for spiritual leaders, because you're all spiritual leaders. You wouldn't be here if you weren't a spiritual leader. You'd be going somewhere else. Here's the credo for spiritual leaders. Put it on the screen. Fill it in. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You're a leader. You know, sometimes husbands, here's the deal. Sometimes husbands say, in this marriage, my wife is a spiritual leader. I mean, we're going to have kids. It's going to be her job to take care of those kids and make sure they get a nice spiritual influence and environment. My friend, you have abdicated your leadership. Leaders must lead. You can't say, hey, woman, you do it. You can't say, hey, boy, you do it. You be the leader. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. That's what leaders do. Climb up after me as I climb up after Him. Lesson number five. Lesson number six. Jot it down. I've got to go back to those same words there, the tail end of verse 12. I, I just love this line. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, may I ask you a very simple question? Did you notice the tense? Did you notice the tense of the verb? Come on, look back. you remember what verbs are? You better remember. Did you notice the tense of the verb? Jonathan does not exclaim, The Lord will give them into the hand of Israel. What does he cry out? The Lord has. Present. Right now. We got him. Hey, Jonathan, you haven't even climbed this mountain yet. You haven't even engaged the battle. Ah, lesson number six, write it down. Speak faith into your battle. Speak faith into your climb. Speak faith. Just say it. Speak it into your life story. Some of you have been speaking doubt for so long, you are as weak as you can be. I got good news for you. All you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. And you can become man, a woman of faith. Speak faith into your climb and into your battle. Now, I've got to tell you something. It's really easy for me to be up here pontificating about this. I'm going to be very honest with you. This is a lesson I struggle with. I still struggle with this one. It's difficult for me, to be honest with you, 
It's difficult for me to speak faith into something that is yet future. A major project, a huge risk, a critical battle. And, I, and here's kind of the thought process that I go through. I tell myself, now listen, Dwight, you don't want to get really, you don't want to get too far out on a limb because if you get too far out on a limb, you're going to make God look bad when He fails. Which, of course, is code language for you're going to look bad when you fail. But I, I wrap it all up with this. Well, you know, maybe, I know that's a big challenge. I don't know if we should go into this, you know. Maybe, God, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not God's will. Maybe God doesn't desire this. Maybe this will, you know, maybe God doesn't need this to be real big right now. Rubbish! Name me one spiritual victory that God wants you to do half-hearted with puny results. Name me one. He's the God of the universe. Speak faith. What's the mountain in front of you? You got some financial mountains here. Oh, huge financial mountains. Speak faith into your financial mountain. You got some career mountains here. Speak faith into that career mountain. I believe that by the power of God. You're saying, but Dwight, I need some promises. Oh, I'm glad you asked because I want to share with you now four dynamite promises that you can speak faith through. Get your pen out. Scribble these down right under lesson number six. Isn't this great? Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. The Lord will... Say that out loud with me. The Lord will fight. The Lord will fight for you. You need only stand still. Who's going to do the fighting? Just I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh, hey, I love this one. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours. But hallelujah, the battle already belongs to God. You don't have to speak future tense. You speak present tense. He's already given him. He's already given me that mountain. I know it's going to be a tough work ahead, but I believe He's already given me this mountain. Whoa, look at this one. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Both words, one promise. He will fight our battles. And finally, from the New Testament, near the end, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Speak faith into your mountain. Oh, by the way, keep your pen moving. Almighty power is not in our faith. Our faith is in the power of the Almighty. And that's a key point. Almighty power is not in our faith. Our faith is in the power of the Almighty. For that reason and only that reason, Jonathan can speak faith into a battle that hasn't even commenced. They haven't even climbed the mountain yet. God has given them to us. Let's go. Mercy. Speak faith. Final lesson. Number seven. I want to read that last line one more time, the tail end of verse 12, before we move to the wrap of the story. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up, come on, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Now verse 13, Jonathan. And so Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Oh, hit the pause button right there. Oh, please. I mean, come on, writer of 1 Samuel. What did you think he was going to use to climb that mountain besides his hands and feet? Some kind of celestial elevator to whisk him to the top? Why did you even bother to put that point in? Unless... 
unless the writer of Samuel inserts using his hands and feet intentionally into the story to remind you and me that even though God already has the victory in hand, it's still going to take us fighting with Him. In fact, I love it in the New King James. Doesn't your New King James Bible read on His hands and knees? Isn't that what it reads in the New King James Bible? On His hands and knees. Can you think of a more effective and powerful way to climb a mountain than on your hands and knees? See that little banner at the front of this church? What's it read? Forward on our knees. Because that's what we believe around here. You know what that means, don't you? Nobody said the climb was going to be easy. In fact, I'm going to quote a verse to you that nobody's ever quoted to you before, and I hope you don't get mad at me for quoting this, because Jesus, in fact, said it's the very opposite. It's not easy at all. But since He said it in the Sermon on the Mount, and who, what is there not to like about the Sermon on the Mount? Let me share these words of warning from Christ. Matthew chapter 7. This will be from the New Revised Standard Version. Jesus speaking. Enter through the narrow gate. Because let me tell you about this other gate. The gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. But, no, the gate you're looking for, the, the gate is narrow and the road is hard. Ooh, the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. If you thought climbing the mountain that's in front of us right now is going to be a piece of cake, let me disabuse you of that notion. It's a tough climb. And how can anybody have any hope at all? It's because of the way this story ends. I love this. Look at this, verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet on his hands and knees with his armor bearer right behind him. And the enemy fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. Verse 14, in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. And then watch this, verse 15. Then panic struck the whole enemy army, those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. You know what's happening right now? All four of those promises we just wrote are now coming to pass. Something supernatural is happening and the earth itself is now beginning. It's an earthquake. And panic. It was a panic sent by God. Look at verse 23. So the Lord rescued, hallelujah, rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon because you know what? After one battle is over, you still got another and another. And another till Jesus comes. That's okay. Did you catch the secret? Did you catch lesson number seven? If you get lesson seven, you got all other six. They will be integrated straight into your life. You have to get number seven. I like those words that we just read. I put it on the screen for you. Jonathan climbed up with his armor bearer right behind him. Here it goes. Lesson number seven. Stay behind. Your divine Jonathan. Fill that in. Stay, lesson number seven. You learn this, you got all the rest. Stay behind your divine Jonathan. You know what Jonathan's name means? Or meant? So a bunch of you are named Jonathan here. Do you know what the name means? It means the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord has given. Do you understand? Now listen to me carefully. Do you understand that Jonathan in this story is a type. He is a model of Jesus Christ. 
For who else did God give to the human race to lead us up the mountain of salvation? If not the divine Jonathan, the Lord Jesus Himself. And by the way, notice the similarities when they come to their own mountains. Just like Jonathan, Jesus is crawling on hands and feet, clawing His way to the summit of Calvary. Just like Jonathan, Jesus will have the enemy waiting for Him on that peak. And just like the Philistines... Satan standing at the head of this, of the legions of hell will taunt. Come on up here, boy. Daddy's boy. Come up here. And we will teach you a lesson or two. Just like Jonathan. A leader has to lead. And Jesus has the entire universe on his shoulders as he claws his way to the summit. And what does he do? The moment they hoist him and suspend him between heaven and earth with this faltering voice, the leader now must lead. And he speaks faith into the darkness. He speaks faith. It is finished. Faith. It looked like it was finished for Jesus. But he speaks it as faith. The battle is Injecting faith into the darkness. The only difference with the Jesus story and the Jonathan story is that Jesus climbs to the mountaintop, the enemy's prepared, and they slaughter him on that peak. They slaughter him. But in slaughtering him, he won. And guess what? The earth shook beneath him just like Jonathan. The earth shook. Guess what? The enemy fled just like Jonathan when he won. Ladies and gentlemen, Lesson seven is absolutely clear. Stay behind your divine Jonathan. That's the secret. It's the secret of the armor bearer. He stayed right behind him. Every morning in this new year that is about to begin, every morning in this new year that is about to begin, you pray this prayer. Good morning, Jesus. What mountain will you be climbing today? Because I'm staying right behind you the whole way. Every morning, you pray this prayer. Good morning, God. What mountain will you be climbing today? Because I, by your grace, will be behind you. Right behind you. All the way. You climb Mount Calvary every day. I told you last week, I'm going to repeat it today. Matthew 27, verses 24 to 54. Read the story of the cross every day. The mountain He conquered for you and me. Get in His step, right behind Him. Read Calvary every day and pray the prayer. I'm ready. What mountain will you be climbing today, Master? And you know what He says? He says from Mount Calvary the very words of Jonathan to his armor bearer. You climb up after me, boy. Girl, come after me. I'll go first. I'm the leader. You're the follower. You understand that? You don't go up any mountain on your own. You follow me. I'll go. You follow. I'll lead. You follow. I lead. You follow. I will follow thee, my Savior. Whatsoever my lot may be, 
Where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, my Lord, I will follow thee. Hallelujah. I want to sing just two stanzas, just two stanzas of hymn 623. And then I'm going to make an invitation, so don't you leave. Two stanzas, and then I'm going to make an invitation. Stand to your feet as we sing this together. 623, I will follow thee, my Savior, wheresoe'er my lot may be. 623, where thou goest, I will follow. Yes, my Lord. I'll follow thee. And in this invitation, I want to be specific. We don't normally do this on the Sabbath before a new year begins, but I, I'd like to make the invitation to you if you are a student at this university and you're embarking on a brand new journey. It's a new journey for all of us. I understand that. But if you're a student here, and more than just lipping these words or singing this hymn, you would like to say to all of heaven, I will climb up right behind the divine Jonathan. I wish you'd just slip out of your pew where you are and just, just come here to the front and let me close with a prayer of dedication for you. You're on the brink 
of a new year, a mountain yet to climb, and you're a student at this university, and you'd like to say, Jesus, by your grace, by your grace, I need you. There's no way I can climb this mountain on my own. Just step up or step out where you are and affirm to your own heart that your divine Jonathan is your leader. And you'll climb right behind him, right behind him. Who knows what's at the top of the mountain? I have no clue. But he has promised that if we will follow him, he'll lead us to that eternal summit one day. And I want to say to the rest of us who are here who are not students, this pre-Sabbath to a new year, whatever the mountain might be in your life, whatever the new chapter might be, if you want to join me in raising your hand and saying, oh Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I just, I will follow you this new year. You get me up this mountain, I'll stay right behind you by your grace. I will follow you, my Savior. Let's sing that uh, chorus one more time. By thy grace, I'll follow thee. I will follow thee. come to this moment just before the new journey begins. We stand to our feet, we say, we sing, we will follow. These who are on the cusp of this new year have come forward saying, by your grace, they will follow the divine Jonathan. And I pray, dear Father, for this young adult, for, for that man, for that woman, be all that she needs you to be. Be all that he needs you to be. Make this the best year he has ever lived. No matter the mountain, no matter what awaits us at the top of the mountain, if our divine Jonathan will go first, you will give us that mountain too. We raise our hands and we say, by your grace. And so please, dear God, out the doors we go, go before us. We are right behind. What mountain are you climbing today? We want to be there with you until Jesus comes. We pray in his name. Amen and amen.